Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Today I want to talk to you about the voice of love. The voice of love. Well, uh, I don't know if you guys have turned on the news recently um, at all, but uh, you might come across these captions. It seems like every five minutes, breaking news, right? <laughs> breaking news every five minutes on the screen. So let me show you uh, breaking news. As we look at breaking news today, it's, it's pretty interesting. You're, you're going to see a plethora of things as you look out into our world today on breaking news. Our, our news loves to report uh, specific things, and they love to highlight certain things. And it's not uncommon that you go to breaking news and you find, you know, another suicide or sickness or disease or fatherlessness or trafficking, greed, loneliness, poverty, abuse, uh, a lack of hope in, in different areas in parts of the world and communities, murder and marriages failing and racism and injustice and perversion of all sorts of weird kind of things and addiction and apostasy, which means people falling away from the faith. There's, there's so many things that, are, that we look in, in this realm of breaking news. And I think breaking is appropriate because many of us watch the news and our heart starts to break. We start to break it, just the, the, the brokenness that we see and our culture. Now, I'm not here to be a Debbie Downer today. I know there's a lot of great things that's happening. But I, I also want us not to be ignorant or have our head in the sand that there are also a lot of things that are not good that are happening. And, and when we see this breaking news, when we, when we find ourselves looking out into our world, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, like if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so grateful you're here today. And, uh, man, it's a safe place for you to be skeptical, for you to ask questions. Um, just so grateful that you're here. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you kind of feel the sense as you look out into the world that, man, something is a little broken with how things are going. Like, you know, it, it just seems like with these mass shootings, it's becoming just par, just par for the course. It, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, we think that racism is eradicated, but it's, it just seems like it's always just, it's, it, it's, it's so far from that. And a lot of times we don't like to look at this stuff because it's uncomfortable, it doesn't feel good. But, but it's, it's something that, that I believe that God has, has called us to, to really lean into. Because I think we have moments. We have moments of, of, uh, of the sense of <sighs> something's wrong. We feel cut to the heart. And then that moment passes so quick. Like we have the moment where we're like, man, we gotta, somebody's got to do something. I got to do something about this. It's not right. It's unjust. And then the moment seems to pass so quickly and we just get distracted by other things. You know, as we look out into our communities, as we look out into our, our nation, as we look out into the globe, you know, when you, when you feel that sense, maybe you've sensed this at a funeral. Maybe you've been to a funeral and if you're like me, uh, my first funeral I did was two kids burned in a fire. My second funeral I did was a dad who committed suicide. My third funeral I did was a drug overdose. I, I did like about 10 funerals of tragedy and majority of kids under 25 before I got to a person that was, you know, way up in age and served Jesus their whole life. And, and when, when, you, when you're in those moments and you look into the coffin, it, there's a sense of it's just broken. It's not like a mother should never have to bury her child, right? This is something's wrong with this picture. And what you're feeling in that moment is you're feeling the fracture of the universe as a result of sin entering into humanity from the garden with Adam and Eve. In that moment, as sin entered humanity, it fractured everything. It broke it. And we feel that gravity. And there's something inside of us that says, man, there's got to be more to life than this. 
Like, this cannot be the end. As we look out and we just see, it's just, it's staggering. Sometimes it's so staggering. You know, at least back in the day, um, you, you couldn't, you didn't know what was happening all around the world. You might have known, you know, had a little newspaper or a little article of what was happening in a city next to you. But now we can see everything in the world. And, it, and it's, been, it's been so, such an incredible resource to be able to see and raise awareness. But it's also created, I think, a sense of, uh, of numbness where we just see so much tragedy and stuff. It just becomes normal. This is just how the world is. And, and that moment comes where we're cut to the heart and, and we got to do something about it. But then that moment passes so quickly, just as, much, just as fast as it came. And I was driving on the freeway this last week, and a big boulder, boulder, a big boulder hit my windshield. <laughs> like how we like to exaggerate us as pastors. This was that big. But this big boulder flew at my window. It was so big that, that I, I actually, like, ducked out of the way when I was driving. Like, whoa, like I saw it come off the truck, and it was just, it was like a, like a meteor just right at my windshield, and so I kind of ducked, and, and this is the, the mark that it left. Now, this doesn't do it too much justice because it, it's, it's actually about that big on my windshield. The biggest crack or biggest rock detriment that I've ever had in my life. And I'm that guy that I'll get a new windshield and a rock will hit it. I'm like, really? <laughs> but, but it's so funny because the moment that the rock hit it, my, my second thought was, how long can I get away without fixing this? Like, is it split? Right, because you know if it gets that little split, it's going to grow. So you're kind of examining like, man, how long can I get by? It looks pretty round and circular. I think I'm good. I, I could probably live like this for a long time and it not affect the bank account. Because that, that's what we think about, right? We, we don't want to pay for brokenness. We, we don't want to invest where things are broken. It, it feels like a, a waste of money. I, I mean, who wants to take something that's broken and actually deal with it. A lot of times when things are broken, what do we do? We just, just throw it away. We just take the brokenness and we dump it in the trash and we just throw it away. And I, I think, you know, we kind of, in, in a similar sense, many times as we look out at the brokenness, we may not throw it away physically, but there is this aspect of throwing things away out of our heart, out of our attention, out of our mind, so that we just don't have to deal with it. It's not fun. It's not pretty. It's, it's costly. Like, to deal with broken things, it costs money. It costs money to, to deal with them. It, it's, it's uncomfortable to deal with brokenness. Are you guys tracking with that? Like, you might, if you deal with brokenness, you might get cut. I'm not sure if I want to touch this thing. It's messy. And it's just, it's just, not, it's just not fun. And it's kind of like this this. this this windshield, as long as it's not bothering me, eventually I just leave it, and I see it, and I leave it, and I see it, and then I leave it, and I don't see it. I leave it, and I don't see it until I'm forced to deal with it. And, and, and I think as, as we look out, especially as we get older, as we look out into our world, I'm going to be 40 uh, in, in October, right? Still a young man. Uh, I'm holding on to that. And, uh, but but I, I think it's interesting because I think as we get older, there's this temptation to become a little more cynical. Or we start to make a lot of assumptions, don't we? Uh, it's, it's easy to, um, to pass by certain things and not pay too much attention to. You know, one of the things that we do with my kids 
is we always encourage them to pick up trash wherever we go. And they've become a lot better than I am. Because if I'm honest, I'm selective. Right? Like there's certain things you just, I'm going to go ahead and leave that. Right? Like because I don't want to get, you know, it might contaminate me. Right? There's germs on certain things. Uh, my, my daughters, we were at Great America, and they came up. Abby came up with, with a handful of cigarette butts, and she's like, I got some Smokies. We're going to throw them away. I'm like, put them on the ground. Don't touch them, right? And you think in that moment, like, she's like, why are you, like, relax, right? It's going to be okay. Let me just go ahead and throw these away. Now, I'm all for sanit- you know, sanitary. It's, you might need to go get some gloves or pick some, but nevertheless, they're, they're just so much more innocent, and their limitations are a whole lot different than mine. Matter of fact, I'm learning a lot. Like, as you look at, as we pass by trash, um, it, it's just not fun to dive in to actually deal with the stuff. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. We, we, we don't like it. I mean, how many times have we passed by somebody that was homeless, and it's just, we've made an assumption. You know, I, I got to, to know there's a gentleman who is homeless. He's close to our house, and, and I've gotten to build a relationship with him. One day I was just like, man... Let's get some, let me just buy you something to eat and just tell me your story. I just want to know your story. And, you know, and he started going on that, man, I lost my house. And, and uh, it, it wasn't a typical story. Like, he's not on drugs. Right? He, he's not, you know, he's, he's fell on hard times. And, you know, there, there's some challenges that he has. But, but if I would have never asked, I would have never known. And I think, think what happens is we start to get used to things. This is just the way they are. And, we, and, and one of the things I love about my kids is they, they ask a lot of questions. Hey, why is it like that? Why is that man like that? What can we do about that? Almost to the point where I know it's coming. I just know, like, if, if there's somebody that we see or we walk past somebody, I know the questions are coming. As soon as we approach. I mean, my daughter, I've shared with you guys before, there's times where it's like, hey, sorry, I don't, I don't have any cash. Well, my daughter's like, well, go to the ATM. <laughs> go pull it out. But that's, that's work. All right? You know, and, and so, so I, I, think, I think we need to become a little bit more childlike. Not childish, but childlike. And I think for you and I, as we look at the injustice in our world today, as we look at some things that are very real and affect a lot of people, you may not think that it affects you, but it affects a lot of other people. Uh, Can I just tell you, we need to keep asking questions. And we need to keep trying to figure out, man, what in the world can can we do? We we can't just be like, oh, this is broken. What's on the game? What game is on today? And we, we, we can't just go on as business as usual. We need, we need to be a little bit more childlike, not childish. And, and I felt like after the window was broken, I was cleaning up the garage, and I, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to be sure that you make brokenness a priority. Make brokenness a priority for you because it's a priority for me. And he brought me to one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Psalm chapter 34. Look what he says. He says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And what does he do? He rescues those who are, whose spirits are crushed. Now, now this is important because this word close, it just doesn't mean like, hey, like God's just kind of here. It means that God draws near. Where there's brokenness, there's a draw where God is like, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing near. I'm, I'm coming in closer. And this word broken, it actually literally means 
pieces. If you look in the Hebrew, it, it means little pieces, just a ton of pieces. And for those who are crushed, it literally means dust. And so it's like everything that we just kind of render as hopeless, everything that we just kind of render as, oh, I don't want to deal with as a mess, God says, I'm drawn to it. I'm drawn to the pieces. I'm drawn to the dust. When we think about pieces, especially like we look at a, at a broken glass or glasses like this, we don't think about, oh, man, what, what could this be? No, we think about, man, let's throw it away. Next time, be more careful. Don't drop the glass. And let's go to Walmart. Getting some more. We, we, we just get, get rid of the brokenness. We don't want to deal with it. We just don't like to deal with brokenness. Now, I think we like the idea of dealing with it. Like, we like the idea of thinking that we're really loving and caring people, don't we? Like, like that's who we're supposed to be. That's who we want to be. We want to be real caring. And i got to get my phone out of my pocket so that you don't hear any static. And, and we like this idea of, yeah, like, let's go for the broken. Yeah, let's reach, let's reach the broken. But then you get there and it's like, ugh. I don't know if I want to reach the broken anymore. Or, or we render it down to an event. Like we do serve day here where we go out and serve our city uh, a few times a year with our small groups. And it's awesome. It's a time that we can serve together. But the goal of that is to be a catalyst for you to make that a rhythm of your everyday life. Not just wait for the next church event. Are you with me on that? So like we like the idea of brokenness, but, 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 but is, it a, is it a rhythm in our life? And you might be asking, well, why in the world is, is a holy God attracted to such brokenness? A holy and a perfect, all put together, incomprehensible God attracted to brokenness. And there's probably a lot of different ways we can answer that. But I want to answer just one way today. And it's love. It's love. Wherever there's brokenness, God's voice of love is drawing near. And I want you to get this picture in your mind because I know that this preach is good, but it's, it's hard to live. It's challenging. I think even more so in our culture than in a lot of cultures, it's, it's really challenging to actually live this out. But it's, it's so important. But God has moved towards brokenness because, why? Because of this idea of, of love. It's, it's just who he is. Look how John describes it. John says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Now let me give you an example. And then he goes on to say, and God is love. Now, what he's not saying is that you just kind of have to whimsically love and then you belong to God. So he's not taking away from believing that Jesus died and rose and confessing him as your Lord and Savior. What John is saying is that if, if you really believe that he died and rose and you're claiming him to be Lord, love is a fruit of that fellowship. It, it's, it identifies you with that reality that that confession of faith is true. It's true because if you're in relationship and fellowship with God and God is love, then the fruit that comes from that is going to manifest in the open. And so he goes on to say, he says, and, and God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. 
You see, love is not abstract, it's action. You know, he, God, it showed, he sent, for God so loved the world that he gave. Love goes. Love is, it's, it's not abstract. It's not just like, oh, I kind of feel this. It's not like you just kind of look at an art painting and you get this feeling like, oh, maybe I just love that painting, right? No, it's something, it's something different. Now, now, love, listen, love, there, there is an emotional aspect, but, but, but love is so much more than just this abstract feeling. Love is, is not abstract, it's action. And I, and I love this because God is, is compelled. Like, like he runs toward the brokenness. I, I mean, get this picture in your mind. God showed how much he loved us, how by sending his one and only son into the world, into the sinful world, into the brokenness, into the mess, into the dark, into the dust. Compelled. I mean, get this picture in your mind. Most of us can't wait to get to heaven. God stepped out of it to get to earth. Most of us are like, just get me out of here. You know, retro, relatively speaking. But God said, I got to go down there. I mean, just get that, get that picture, a holy God stepping into the mess. Why would he do that? Why is love attracted to brokenness? Well, if you take a note, you can jot this down. Love is attracted to brokenness because love sees beyond brokenness. See, he wasn't just coming into the mess. He was coming to fix it. He, he, he wasn't just coming to say, hey, I'm just going to kind of wallow in the mess. No, he says, I see and I know and I realize that it's broken and you in and of yourself and all of your wisdom and all of your creativity and all of your ideas cannot fix the brokenness. And so I'm going to step in, I'm going to step into that brokenness, and I'm going to bridge that gap. I'm going to make a way, I'm going to bring some healing, I'm going to bring some restoration. See, love, love is attracted to brokenness because love sees beyond. Love sees redemption, love sees hope, love sees miracles, love sees what could be. And God says, for God so loved the world that he, he gave, he moved. And this is serious. Love is serious. I mean, so much so, look how the Bible speaks about it. Look what, look what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I could speak of all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and po possessed all of the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. You know, it's so funny. Is, is a lot of times we want more. We, give me some, some deeper teaching. I, I want to know some, some aspects of the gifts. I wanna, and all that stuff is good. But if you want depth spiritually, check your love tank. How are you loving others? Let me say it this way. If, if you believe yourself to be spiritually mature, would others classify you as an unbelievable, loving, godly person? It's a great gauge. Or would they be like, no. Not even the close. Super knowledgeable, though. Not so loving. Like, man, can, can, has a lot of gifts. Not, not so, so loving. 
But now that kind of begs the question. I know some of you guys are thinking and asking. You know, I have a skeptical mind by nature, so it's cool when I'm preparing my messages, I automatically think of how you're going to be rebuttaling what I'm saying. I think some of us would say, well, what does that even mean? So are you just saying we just kind of love everybody and just love, just love. L- let me tell you what love is not. Let me tell you what love doesn't do. Because I think there's a distorted picture in our world today. I think number one, uh, love, and it's not going to be on the board, but just, just hear me out. I think n- number one is the love doesn't agree with everything. Let me say that again. Love doesn't agree with everything. Like, there's a lot of things that my kids would love for me to agree with with them, and I'm like, nope, that's not love. But, Daddy, I just want to ride in the street. You, you can barely ride in the driveway. <laughs> no. Love isn't just letting somebody do whatever they want to do. That's not, that's not love. Like, all of us know that. Like, like if you use an example of, of your kids, or we know that, but still we get away from that somehow. And we deem love as just kind of embraces all things. And that's just not, none of us really believe that because we don't live that way. You see, you see, love, it just doesn't agree. Love doesn't avoid conflict. See, true love will actually step into the conflict. Remember, for God so loved the world that he, he gave, he stepped out of heaven into the conflict, into the chaos, into the brokenness, into the mess. Doesn't avoid conflict. See, love is not quiet about sin. Ooh, I'm like stepping on toes. So you guys look at me like, okay, keep on preaching. No, it's, it's not quiet about sin. Like true love says, man, that's not God's best for your life. <laughs> that's not good for your marriage. That's not good for, and love steps in and says, I love you enough. Even if you hate me after this conversation, I'm still going to love you enough to tell you the truth. Like, like who love? Like if you have a friend that always agrees with you, you might want to get some other friends. Because <laughs> they may say they love you, but that's not love. Some of the greatest moments of my life has been my friend saying, you're wrong, dude. That's not okay. You can't do that. And obviously it's with, it's with grace and, and, and it's, it's, it's with truth. And, but love just doesn't, it's just not quiet about sin. Love does not hide from truth. Can I just say today that in so many different aspects and ways, in so many different aspects and ways, things are just being redefined in our culture. And you really have to understand what things mean. Like, like can I just tell you, like, like when it comes to tolerance, it's a big word in our culture. But you know what tolerance really means? It means that we have opposing ideas, yet we can still live and walk with one another in our, in our opposing ideas. We can still walk harmoniously. I can, still, I can still bear up under the differences. It doesn't mean agreement. And so we've just redefined things in our culture that, man, we have to really lean into. We have to really pay attention to. If not, things just start to get distorted. And so there are a lot of things uh, that, that love isn't, but there, there are also a lot of things that love is. And I think sometimes the church is really good at telling everybody what we're against, but what, what about what we're for? Are you guys tracking with me on that? And so, so let, let me give you, not, not for me, but let me give you God's definition and aspect of love. Now, love, I mean, we could talk about so many different aspects. I want you to picture a diamond. There's so many different hues and rays that, that can, when, when, it's, when it hits the sunlight, that just glimmers. But, but this is kind of a snapshot that Paul's going to give us as we continue in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient and kind. How are you guys doing so far? Patient and kind. 
right? Love is, is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Rude, rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, irritable, irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice. See, love just doesn't say, well, that's unjust. It doesn't rejoice in injustice, but rather whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. One pastor say that love never fails. Love never fails. Now, the difficult thing is that in our culture, if you guys are living in the same world that I am, man, there's some crazy stuff out there. A lot of great things happening. There are also a lot of crazy things happening. And the Bible speaks about Jesus was talking about the end of the age. He was talking about the last days. It would be really good for you to jump into this book of Revelation, jump into this class, just, just to grow. But, but in, in, these, in these last days, that wickedness is going to increase. And when wickedness increases, look, look what it says. It says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of most. Because all of a sudden what happens is as wickedness increases, it starts to blow on you. Like, like the rock and the windshield, like, hey, it doesn't affect me for a while. But as, as wickedness increases, as those cracks continue to spread, eventually it starts to wear on you. This word grow, it, it literally means like you're blowing to cool down your soup. It's like this process, this gradual process of just, just this cooling down. And what happens? You start to get impacted by this wickedness. You start to get offended. You start to get, you get betrayed. You get, you know, somebody does something violent to you or somebody you love. You, you start to get impacted by, by these things in different ways. And a little after a while, it's like you start to question the love of God. And that starts to distort your, 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 your whole picture of, of how God relates to you. Then that starts to distort how you relate to others. And there's this coldness that happens. And this word cold in the Greek, it literally means wax cold. And it's this gradual process. And can I just tell you, if there's one thing that Satan would love to do is to get us as a church, is to get us in a posture or a position where we're going through the motions, but we don't see anything anymore because our love is cold. Like even with each other, even how we deal with each other, he would love for our love to get cold. Why? Because I believe that in these last days, in these days and times that we're living in, that love is going to be one of the greatest apologetics. Apologetic in the Greek, it means apologia. It means a defense, a defense for the faith, to prove something is real, to know that it's tested and it's tried. And, and I know that this is true because I'm not telling you this. This is what Jesus said. Look what he said. He said, listen, he said, it's so important that we get this. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. He could have said anything there. But he said, your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. It's amazing how, how, how easy people have just become disposable to us. You know, part of the thing about being in church is, guess what, man, thank God we're not going to all look alike. 
Thank God we're not going to all talk the same. We may have the same culture, same language, but, but there's different aspects and, and personalities and traits. And none of us, I mean, if you look across this room, we are an intergenerational, multicultural church, unapologetically. Because this is, this is heaven. This is what heaven's going to be like. And I want you to get this picture in your mind. Listen, we have people from all different walks of life, all different cultures, all different statuses, all different, all these things. But, but the gospel somehow, as we look in the book of Acts, does this miracle where, where this girl who was, who was rendered an outcast or this girl who's rendered as, as a slave, as nothing, is, is eating and, and fellowshipping with a blue-collar jailer who's, you know, connecting with a CEO stylist. And they're all doing life together, which in this culture was completely not even a reality. But the gospel breaks down these barriers in such a way that allows us not just to get along, but allows us to love and to serve and to bear with one another. I think the tough part in church is this, and this is how easy we just go. If we don't look like you, we don't talk like you, we're not your flow, I'm out. I'll go to the next one. Oh, didn't like that sermon. See ya. It's like there's something beautiful about the church when Paul is looking at Peter and saying, dude, you're being racist. That's not keeping in step with the gospel. You're missing it here. And the Bible says it was very clear to Paul. It just wasn't clear to Peter. Peter didn't say, man, forget it. I'm leaving this church. No. Because Peter's like, man, thank you for getting my back. I was under some pressure <laughs> trying to navigate culture and. That's, that's, like, listen, if you're here today and hear my voice, and you may never come back after this message, and I'm sorry. I love you, and I'm so glad you're here. But can I just tell you, this is, we are not a perfect church. We will never be a perfect church. You have issues. I have issues. But, man, if we could learn to love one another in such a way, in such a biblical, Christ-centered way, man, we have the potential for the world to look at us and be like, I want that. I want that. That's huge. Unapologetically, I think one of the greatest miracles in the last days is going to be love. You even know this now. You know when people do a kind gesture, it's a little bit of a shock, isn't it? What you do that for? Like when we go to, to pay for people's laundry at Laundry Love, we go for two hours and we'll, we'll pay for their laundry. People are shocked. Kev, aren't they? They'll just be like, What's the catch? <laughs> like, man, we got, we, got, we got some food for you, got some water, got some coloring books for your kids. Man, we, we got bags full of quarters. Which, which, which one do you want to use? Using the dryers, using the washers? Like, what? Uh. Man, there's no catch. You just picked a great day to come to the laundromat. And then you just see, you can see it like over a period of time how people just, they, they warm up a little bit. It's, but it's foreign. And it's becoming more and more foreign. People do nice things. There's always a catch. There's always something like, what's, what's the catch? What do, you, what, do you, what do you want? I'm telling you, people in the last days, love is going to be so sparse. Wickedness is just, you, there's this, this sense of corruption and fear and all these different things. And they, they should be able to look at the church and say, I want to go there. Let's go there. But it's not a place where, we, where there's no conflict. It's not a place where we don't have tough conversations. It's not a place, no, we, we are the church. And those who are in the church need to understand that we are called to love from a biblical perspective. So the, the, the question is this, and how do we keep, how do we keep our, our love lit, all my young people said. How do we keep our, our, our love lit? 
How do we keep it on fire? How do we, how do we keep it from growing cold? All right, so let me give you the bad news first. Bad news is this. How does love deal with brokenness? It's easy because love chooses the cross over comfort. Love chooses the cross over comfort. Isn't it funny that, that we, we, we hate being uncomfortable, yet we love the results of being uncomfortable? And like we hate being uncomfortable, but yet we start to long for being uncomfortable because we love the results that come from being uncomfortable and we want the results. But because we don't want to be uncomfortable, we want the results, but we're not uncomfortable and so we stay stuck. And we just always think, one day I'm going to be uncomfortable. One day I'm going to exercise. It's coming. Monday. Monday. Tomorrow, 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 right? Like, like, come, like we, we love, like, none of us like to admit we're wrong or we don't understand. But do you know how much growth comes from just saying, man, I don't get it? Can you help me understand? Like, like, we love the growth that comes from being uncomfortable, but we just don't want to be uncomfortable. Therefore, a lot of times we don't experience growth. Like, you know how networking, how powerful it is to network and build relationships? But it's uncomfortable sometimes. You're at church, you're like, hey, how you doing? So, uh, what do you do? It's uncomfortable, right? But can I just tell you, some of the greatest moments of my life have come through relationship. Some of the greatest moments of my life have come through friendship. But it's just so easy because somebody has to make the move. Somebody has to step out and say, all right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable to unplug. Like, put your, your phone on airport. <laughs> Maybe in about five. Like, we just like, unplug. Be present. It's uncomfortable today. We're, we, we're comfortable with busy. But we're not uncomfortable, we're, we're, and we're uncomfortable with being present. Like I'm in the zone, and we always feel like we got to do something. We always got to feel like we got to check something. We got to. This stuff is messing us up, man. Like, like there's, there's this kind of like, again, going back to conflict. Conflict is, is, it's not fun. But can I just tell you, some of my deepest relationships have been birthed out of conflict. Have been birthed out of great conversation. I remember I was in the fifth grade. Me and this kid, when I saw him. I didn't like him first day. He didn't like me. We fought. But then we realized we both had Jordans. So like, like, Michael Jordan brought us together, right? <laughs> Became best friends. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Like, like there, there's critical conversations that we have to have. 99% of the critical conversations I have end in a greater depth of relationship. But a lot of times what happens is we avoid conflict because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because we project how somebody is going to receive something we have to tell them, which is really a result of our brokenness. So we project that on them thinking that's how they're going to respond. So we avoid conflict altogether knowing that it's not even them that's the issue. It's you. Like if we gave people the benefit of the doubt, say, hey, I think you can handle this conversation. If you can't, then we can, we can talk about it then. And so, so I, I just I, I want you to, to lean into this because I, I think that... There's just this idea that as we are uncomfortable, that choosing the cross over comfort, it's, it is uncomfortable, but the result ends in a growth and in life that you really truly desire and what a lot of times we go after cannot produce. It, can, it just can't. There's, there's only certain things, there's only certain things that are going to bring you ultimate fulfillment 
And sometimes the way to get to those things is not a pathway of comfort. It's a path of uncomfortability. You know, I, I came across this yesterday, actually. Let me show you. It's startling report that calls Christianity by far the most widely persecuted religion in the world and warns persecution of Christians is nearing genocide levels. You don't hear that on breaking news. Can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that when we read stuff like this, it's like, oh, my goodness. Some of us are moved. Some of us aren't. Because, again, like the rock hitting our windshield, it's not here yet in certain manners. But we're not exempt from persecution. But here's the beauty of it. Persecution is horrible. Genocide, horrible. But God runs to the broken. God runs to the brokenness. And you know, we look from the book of Acts, when persecution hit the church, what happened? It grew. Extremely uncomfortable. But it grew like crazy. And spread to all the different parts of the earth. You know, uh, right now the fastest growing church is in China, in the underground church. You know when that started? It started when Mao was trying to eradicate Christianity. When millions of people were getting slaughtered for faith in Christ. And what did it do to the church? It exploded. Extremely uncomfortable. But God brought great growth and worked something that was tragic out for good. Like right now, you know the second fastest growing church in the world? You want to know where it's at? It's in Iran or Iran per capita. I mean, they're facing extreme persecution. You know the majority of them? The majority of them are young people. They're meeting, they're being trained, and they're going out to love and to serve people at the cost of beheading, at the cost of being stoned, at the cost of being exiled from the family. And, and, and sometimes I think in America we hear this and it's like, whoa. But this is normal Christianity from the gate. This isn't like advanced Christianity. And we look back in the Gospels. I know this is a little hard to palate. It's a little bit hard to hear, but it, it's, it's true. You know, there was a religious leader that came up to Jesus, and the religious leaders in Jesus' day, a lot of times what they would do is they would attach themselves to a teacher to gain status and promotion. And so one teacher says, Lord, I love you. I, I just, I'm going to follow you, like wherever you go. And Jesus said, really, bro? He said, okay, cool. He says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm with you. I want to love like you. I want to. And Jesus said, man, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay your head. Jesus was making a very clear statement that you, okay, man, follow me. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best trip of your life, but you might not have a bed. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> you mean, you know, no Egyptian cotton. Like, I'm not going to have a, a place to lay my head. Jesus was making it very clear that, that uh, again, listen, the, the path, listen, the results of love are comforting, but many times the path of love is not. And Jesus was making a very clear statement that, man, when you're going to follow him, it's, it's, it's not always going to lead to this comfortable path. It's, it's not always going to lead to self-prominence or promotion. Matter of fact, it leads to a self-denial. The cross over comfort. It's not about promoting oneself. It's about dying to oneself. But, but in this beauty of following Jesus, all of a sudden what happens is we, we start to grow and we start to experience life the way that it was meant to live. And all of a sudden it's like, man... Whoa, 
Like, uh, I've been the most uncomfortable, but I've grown so much. And I've wrestled through the tension. I've fought through the difficulty. I've wrestled through the persecution. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. People just, man, their, 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 their faith in God just tried at every end. And it's just, sometimes it's just not easy. And so Jesus, after this conversation in Luke, he goes out and he says, I'm going to send out 72 people. I'm going to send them out in twos. You're going to go into the cities and just love and serve these people. I'm sending you out ahead of me. Because that's what we want to do, right? We, we want to love well. We want to love and serve people. We want to be people that go into the brokenness. So look at what Jesus, look at his words to them. He says, okay, I want you guys to go and just know that I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So pumped for you guys. Let's go. Let's get this. Anytime a lamb would go out amongst a wolf, the lamb is prepared to lay down his life. The lamb is prepared to give it all, all in. Jesus said, hey, some of y'all may not come back, but be there shortly. Then he goes on to say in Luke, he says, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees for you are careful to tie the tiniest of income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Like you just overlook those things. But I'm coming to church Paying my tithes. And, and he says, listen, he said, you should tithe. You should tithe. You should tithe. But do not neglect the more important things. Again, it's like, well, let me deal with justice. Like, ah, I don't want to deal with that. Can I just pay my tithes and go to church and get out of here? Jesus is like, you can. That's not my best for you. It's grateful that Jesus is willing to tell us the truth. And Jesus was okay. Some people, they just walked away. Well, cost is too high. I think, listen, we want to reach everybody, but I know we won't. Everybody's welcome here, but not everybody's going to stay. We're going to pursue lost people like you couldn't imagine. But we're not going to avoid truth. Because it's truth that sets you free. And, and, and Jesus goes on to, to say, he goes on to say, he says, uh, continue. He says that the ground of a certain rich man produced an abundance. So he thought to himself, what shall I do since I have nowhere to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build some bigger ones. And there I'll store up all my grain and all my goods. There I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Pastor David Platt would say this is Americans' remedy of success. Just build bigger, eat, drink, be merry. As long as it doesn't affect me, I'm good. And Jesus is like, yeah, but. He goes on to say, he says, but God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be required of you. Then who will own what you have accumulated? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. Well, it begs the question, then what does it mean to be rich toward God? And Jesus gives us the explanation of this in a few verses down. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. For your father, listen, is pleased to give you the kingdom. Get this message. He says, I'm going to give you the kingdom. So don't worry about your possessions. I'm giving you a kingdom. Like if somebody came to you and says, hey, listen, uh, man, give me that shirt. I'm about to give you the outlet. You're like, man, express outlet? Let's go. Right? 
a great deal. But you know in this verse, we don't even focus on the kingdom because we just can't imagine selling our possessions and giving them away. So we just missed the whole point. Well, Jesus just wants me to sell everything. No, no, no. He just said he's about to give you something. And he doesn't say all your possessions. He just says, man, sell your possessions, man. Where is your heart? Because where your heart is, what does he say? That's where your treasure will be. Your treasure, whatever you treasure will be the rudder of your heart. Do you treasure the kingdom or do you treasure yourself? Do you treasure the cross or do you treasure comfort? See, we just don't understand the cross to think in our day as much as we should because, like, we have them all over our houses. But if nobody in Jesus' day would have been like, I'll take three of those crosses. Matter of fact, make me a gold one. I want to wear that around my neck, right? I'm going to tell you what. If you, they would mistake you for a gangster rapper if you, wore a, if you wore a cross around your neck. It'd be like death row. Let me show you. It'd be like death row. <laughs> Wearing an electric chair, right? I'd be like, man, is that, is that pop? What? It's just, I mean, that, that, was, that was a symbol of a cross. Just like for us, the electric chair, we're like, man, that's, that's hard. I'm going to wear an electric. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm in this. I'm all the way in. And the cross, they would just be like, whoa. What in the world? We just don't understand the cross. We don't understand it like they did in the first century. So I want you to breathe a little bit. And I want you to think about this, this one reality. Aren't you so grateful that Jesus chose the cross over comfort? Aren't you so grateful for that? That he chose the cross over comfort. And I want to tell you, and some of you guys are already, like, feeling bad. You're like, man, I'm just horrible. I'm not loving. I'm not, like, thanks, Pastor Matt. It's a great day to come to church, right? And if that's you, I want, I want you to take notes. Jot this down. Listen, give yourself some grace, but don't make excuses. Like, we're, we're not always going to hit the mark. We're not always going to nail it. Are you tracking with me? And there's going to be moments where you miss it. And you got to give yourself grace because sometimes if we don't, we're weighted with guilt and we never get anything done. We just kind of like, man, I'm just I'm a failure. I'm not doing right. Man, forget it. It's like, no, give yourself some grace, but don't make excuses. Love never fails, but you will. You will. I will. I've done it on multiple occasions. I remember there was this gentleman that uh, I was outside of a Starbucks and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to go and talk to him, serve him, and give him some money to something. But my friend, I was picking up from a flight, and I didn't want to be late. I was trying to manage my time well, and so I passed him by. And I felt horrible. I went to pick up my friend. I said, man, I got to swing back by the Starbucks. I got to go back. And I went back, and he was gone. And I, and I, and I, felt, I felt bad. Like, like ugh, I just I felt it in my soul. And, you know, I was reading, when you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, you, you find these two guys. Let me, let's go there together. He said, Jesus replied and said that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell amongst robbers. Robbers, they were stripped away and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest came by and, and when he saw him, he passed him by. And, on, and there was also a Levite. And when he came to the place, he saw him. He passed by on the other side. They both just passed this guy by. But then the Good Samaritan came, loved his enemy, served him well, bandaged him up, invested Invested in his brokenness. It cost him a lot, but he didn't care. And Jesus said, you need to be like that guy. Go and do the same. But as I was reading this this week, I was like, man, as much as we bag on these guys, 
<laughs> Many times we are these guys. And anytime your position, no matter what position you have, when you lose your mission, you can have a title, but don't forget your mission. But I thought for, you know, and honestly, I mean, like I just shared with you, I have been this priest and this Levite that has passed somebody by. And the sad part is, is I may be able to afford that, but they might not be able to. Can't get that back. I had to give myself some grace, but also I had to make sure that I wasn't making excuses. You're going to miss it at times. I like how Bob Goff says and Love Does. He gives a picture of Tom Sawyer's Island in Disneyland. And he says, he says, uh, he says it's kind of interesting because this is the place where everybody says they're going to go. And they really have a desire to go there. But a lot of times they don't go. It's like, we're going to go to Tom Sawyer's Island. We're going to have a picnic. We're going to eat lunch. It's going to be awesome. We're going to just be in, you know, it's Disneyland. We get to see everything. And we get to go across on the boat. And it's going to be awesome. But then they get to Disneyland and most people just look and like, hey, Tom Sawyer's Island. Uh, we can do it later. It's like, it's like the neglected island, right? So, so much so that Bob uses it as an office. He said it's a pretty quiet place. Nobody really comes through that that often. And, and I just think sometimes it, it's, we're just, you know, there's so many attractions. There's so many, there's no rides here. There's, there's, there's nobody to entertain you. Like, you got to figure it out yourself on Tom Sawyer's Island. It's like, who wants to do that? We're in Disneyland. But I think so many times we, we say, yeah, next time. I haven't been to Disneyland. I think maybe I go like once a, once a year now that I have kids, if that. And then it, it's like you got to save for like 10 years before you go for one year. It's just not even worth it. But, but, but there's this sense of we'll just get to it later. And then we just don't go at all. And, and can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, people, the world needs the gifts that God has given you. God calls us instruments of reconciliation. Like we're to go in the world and love and serve them in such a way. That's not turning a deaf ear to all these things or a blind eye. The world needs your gifts. You know, there was this, this gentleman, he, he loved hiking, and, but he hated his coffee that was instant. And so, so he figured out a way. He was a, like a biochemist or something. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to freeze dry my coffee, and then I'm going to boil it up on the top of the mountain. So that's what he did. Just like astronaut food, right? And it turned out to be like the best coffee. So much so that this guy who had a little coffee shop called Starbucks got wind of it and was like, this is amazing. So we hired him on the spot. And guess what? They never used the freeze-dried coffee. And he went on just to fail over and over and over again. And he, he tried to make soda coffee. I'm like, bro, I could have told you that's not going to work. That's gross. <laughs> tried to make so many different things. And then finally it was like, you know, but he just kept going. Just like, no, I'm just. Finally he said, man, we're going to put some ice in this thing. Put some syrup, add a couple shots. I'm gonna call this thing a frappuccino. Come on, how many of you guys are grateful for his gift? Some of you guys are gonna leave here right, right after the service, and you're gonna go get a frappuccino. And, and, and the reality is this listen, you're gonna blow it, and, and, and that's inevitable, but don't listen, give yourself grace, don't make excuses. The world needs the gifts that God has placed inside of you. You can't quit. And if that's gonna happen, last thing is this is you're gonna have to refocus on God's love for you and reevaluate your connection to him. This is it. This isn't a message to say, go try to love harder. Good luck. That's not going to work. You may be able to do it for like a little season, but then, you know, somebody hits you the wrong way and you're like, man, forget this. Boom, boom, right? And you may go and not overlook something for a week or two. 
I'm talking about a, a change of heart. I'm talking about a complete restructuring of our heart. That doesn't come by trying. It comes by connecting. See, we need to refocus on God's love for you and reevaluate your connection to him. What, what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm trying to say that as, as Jesus said in John chapter 15, he gives us the impossible. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other. Everybody say in the same way I have loved you. Now, everybody, just take a deep breath. Look at that passage. In the same way. I don't know about you, but that's, that feels impossible. I mean, as you refocus and think about how God has loved you in spite of your sin, as God has loved you in spite of your race or your status, as God has loved you when you fall short, aren't you glad he didn't gossip about you, but he covered you? That when the pieces were all over the place and God says, I see your inmost darkness and I'm still coming. I'm still drawing near. Like you start to refocus on that reality. That God, that, that, that you want my brokenness? He said, yeah, I want, I want all the pieces. I want the dust too. I'm coming. I'm here. You start to refocus on that, ladies and gentlemen. You look at that long enough, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to reveal something. In that moment, as you're refocusing on his love, and then you hear this commandment, I want you to love people in the same way that I have loved you, you're going to feel the gravity and the weight of that impossibility. And it's going to cause you to say, I can't do it. I can't love like that. Exactly. You see, a lot of times we think that we have a love problem. Let me, let me show you all this broken glass. It's just, we think that we have a love problem because we're not attracted to the brokenness maybe like we should. Jesus said, I want you to love in the same way, the sacrificial love. I want you to feel the gravity of that and you will feel the impossibility that in and of yourself, you are not able to do that. That will cause you to reevaluate your connection, your dependence, your intimacy with God. Because love, many times, is not the problem. Love is a fruit that is bore, not something that is earned, not something that can be achieved even. The Bible says that love is fruit of the Spirit. A lot of times we don't have a love problem. We have a connection problem. The Bible says that we are the, he is the vine and we are the branches. And I, I'm going to prove it to you. Like, like, like just, just track with me. A lot of times, listen, you can still be saved and quench the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Look what it says. Not my words, but God's. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been what? Poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's not something that we earn. It's something that God said. And then, he, then Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. Like, for real? For God himself has taught you to love one another. Meaning this. It doesn't mean that we can't grow in aspects of love and we can't learn and grow in certain areas, but, but it comes down to this. Love is a fruit, and fruit can only be bore. It cannot be produced. And so we ask ourselves the question, maybe it's not a love problem. Maybe it's a connection problem. And Jesus says, here's a great gauge. Here's a great gauge to see if there's a connection problem. 
It's the last tough passage, I promise. Next week's going to be way lighter. Look, look what he says. He says, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You know, you think when Jesus was talking to these people, he wasn't talking to advanced Christianity. He was talking to brand new people who are not even saved yet. He was saying, you guys, you guys want to know the deal? And now obviously you're like, i got to hate my brother. And my, well, that, that's easy because I already do hate my brother. So, But the reality is this. What he's saying is that your love for God should be so great that it makes every other love look like hate. And to the degree that we are in love with God and to the degree that we see how he has loved us and to the degree that we let that reality penetrate our hearts, the Spirit of God has a way of producing a fruit inside of us. It's like this. No longer is it, is it a little bit scary, like, okay, let me go get brokenness, serve day. Got one. It's like the Holy Spirit empowers you in such a way comes upon you and you're like, man, give me that. Let's get it. Let's get in it. I, I can't. I'm compelled to the broke. Do you know what this could be? Do you understand what this could be? Do you understand what God can do with this? Oh my goodness. This is, this is incredible. This is. And we just become so attracted to the brokenness because we can see beyond it in light of our brokenness and God seeing beyond ours. So what am I telling you today? I'm telling you that God loves you so much. I'm telling you that we live in a broken world that's in desperate need of him. And God forbid that we're a church that overlooks injustice. God forbid that we, be, we become a church that just is okay with the status quo. I don't even know what that means 100%. But I just mean that we need to start asking more questions. We need to start asking more questions. that I may be your hands and feet and the world would know that I am your disciple and give you glory and watch reconciliation, restoration, redemption. It's happened all throughout history. God has a proven track record. Let's not let us, let's not be a church that ignores that reality.